Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Niran Babalola. He's the founder at Pamvala, a donation matching fund for communities that runs on its own cryptocurrency. Um, So I'm very excited to talk to Niran more about that. Welcome, Niran. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Diana. All right. So before we dive into Pamvala, I want to know a little bit more about your background and what got you into crypto. So take me all the way back to when you first got exposed to crypto. When was that and what was it that got you interested? Uh, So for crypto in the beginning, I think I heard about Bitcoin on Hacker News or something. And I was like, nerds think they can make money from nothing. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Uh, A couple months later, one friend of mine was like, hey, have you uh, read about this Bitcoin thing? And I was like, guess I have to read more about this. I read everything that I could read for like a week or two, went fully down the rabbit hole, and then I realized nerds can make money from nothing. This is incredible. And really just tried to wrap my head around everything. Uh, A couple years later, uh, I heard about Ethereum. Uh, At the time, I thought it was a scam coin. Again, some nerds thought they could put a programming language in their money to make their money worth more than Bitcoin. Sounds like a scam. Turns out it's a really great idea, but I didn't realize uh, what was going on until I started contributing as a volunteer to the Augur project. So I was writing some code on the front end and they were using Ethereum behind the scenes. Uh, So it was actually using the technology, trying to figure out uh, what was going on there that made it click for me what smart contracts were, what they could do. You could write the rules for any interaction between individuals or groups of people, like it's the rules to a board game. And then instead of needing a game master for your board game, you basically publish those rules to a network and the network of thousands of computers will be your game master. So if you can think of any design of any sort of interaction that produces more value for its participants than they're putting into it, then that is now possible. That's what that unlocks. Any sort of system of cooperation you can think up in your head can now be deployed on chain for it to enforce for you. So when that light bulb went off, when it finally clicked for me what was going on, I quit my job. Uh, I found a consensus. This was actually before they had announced there was just a cryptic GitHub repository. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, there's somebody paying people to work on Ethereum. I need to work at that place. I started emailing people, just whoever was on the GitHub account. I'm like, hey, uh, it seems like there's a company here. Uh, I want to work on Ethereum stuff. This is my background. Let me in. They let me in, and that started my story uh, working in uh, crypto full-time. Very cool. So you sort of just dove right on in as, as soon as you could find a cool project that you could contribute to. Before you did that, when you were first getting exposed to crypto, when you were still thinking that you know Ethereum was a scam coin, how did you go about learning more about this space? Like, uh, Were there any books or blogs or Twitter personalities that were a really good resource for you in the early days. And then now in 2021, obviously we have way more resources 
resources today than you had when you first got into the space. So talk about like some of your favorite resources from back in the day. And then today, what are some of your favorite resources for people listening who are just getting into the space and wanting to learn more? Uh, so early on, I was really just reading the docs. Like there were no books. Uh, there weren't that many tutorials or classes or anything like that you could take. So it's just diving in and reading the docs and figuring out what could be done and how to do it. Uh, so I read a lot of the like uh, Ethereum, like RPC documentation early on, figuring out what's going on there. The Solidity, like I feel like Solidity as a language, we all learned Solidity along with the Solidity language designers because it was all happening at once. Uh, but really just reading what they put out there to say, hey, this is this is how this thing works. Good luck uh, is how it started in the early days. The most valuable stuff that I read early on wasn't really about documentation or how to's or anything at all. It was basically every single blog post that Vitalik Buterin put out from like 2014 to 2017, like all of those blog posts, they're gold. Uh, you should go back to them and read them because it really uh, like if, if, if you're like me and at first you don't see what smart contracts can do, then it's really that series of blog posts that'll like take you through what's in his head, what he thinks is possible. And maybe you can find new things that even he didn't see and see what's possible from there. It's like a mind opening uh, set of blog posts. Uh, if you're looking for one article in particular to read, uh, there's a post that I think is called Libertarian Social Engineering, which if you don't like the term social engineering, I hope the libertarian part makes it a little bit easier for you. But basically, uh, voluntary ways to shape people's social interactions with one another. That is behind so much of what I see in the space. People coming together on a voluntary basis to do things they couldn't do before. The more we can do that kind of thing, I think the happier people are going to be. Uh, if you can come up with new ways for people to cooperate on a voluntary basis, I think um, there's there's a lot of opportunity there. So that was the early days. These days, there's too much to keep up with. I used to try to follow everything that was going on in Ethereum, and you could do that just by being on Twitter, subscribing to the subreddit. Like I knew everything that was happening in Ethereum. That stopped being possible in probably 2017, <laughs> but now it's very much impossible. So I kind of stick to my corner of the ecosystem, which is like everything involving DAOs or donations or like basically people coming together to do things socially rather than just financially. Uh, that's the stuff that I pay attention to. Whenever there are projects about that, that pop up on Twitter, I try to dive in and see what's going on there. I used to have to like try to warn people. It's like, don't try to keep up with everything. There's too much. I don't think anybody even tries anymore, but there was a while where people were still trying and you can't get anything done if you're paying attention to everything. But, but now you can't even pay attention to anything. That's just not possible. But Twitter is kind of where the action is for better, for worse. Every time I see something interesting, an interesting person, I follow them. And that's kind of the best way to like kind of find, build your own uh, source of content for Ethereum by just following people as you come across them and unfollowing people as they go off the deep end uh, is kind of the way I do it. A hundred percent. And that's amazing. I actually haven't read Vitalik's earlier blog post myself yet. So I'm definitely going to go back and do that. I have read The Infinite Machine by Camilla Russo. And I think she alludes to probably some of the blog post content, but would definitely love to read the blog posts themselves. So what do you see as some of the major roadblocks that are preventing the mainstream from coming into the space? Obviously, we've made leaps and bounds since 
the early days when you got into the space, but there are still tons of people out there who don't know what crypto is, still think it's a scam, are sketched out by it, you know, don't understand blockchain technology. Like, why do you think that is still in 2021? Like, what do we need to improve on in the space to draw in the masses? I think there are two things. One is like key management in general, and the second is use cases. So on key management, like uh, in the early days, a lot of the pitch of crypto was that you can be your own bank, but being your own bank sucks. It's really hard to do. <laughs> like uh, you can lose all your money, you can get hacked. Like being your own bank is very complicated. Uh, generating your own private keys, managing them, etc. A lot of people aren't ready for that. It's always inspiring to see new kinds of wallets be created. Uh, things like Argent, things like Dharma, etc. Things that are trying to smooth that onboarding experience to make sure that people don't completely have to be their own bank, but they can. Like the ability to be your own bank is the empowering part, but the responsibility to be your own bank is not empowering. <laughs> so being able to have that choice, I think is really important. So I'm really looking forward to more and more ways to, to smooth that onboarding process. The second thing is use cases. So uh, for a long time, the most exciting thing happening in crypto was tokens. And tokens are such a mind-bending concept to wrap your head around. Like you're thinking about like how an entire economy works. And to a lot of people, if you can't explain it in concise enough a way for it to fit in people's heads, it just won't make any sense and it'll seem like a scam. By contrast, look at what has happened with NFTs. When it's just one single thing that people have to fit in their heads, they're like, oh, you're saying this is like an autograph of this art? Like anybody can see it, but only I own this autographed thing? that fits in people's heads. And that's why it's exploding so much. Like the technology can do so much more than that, but it's all about stories that can fit in people's heads and NFTs fit. That's why they're exploding. That's why people are buying NBA top shots. The reason people are doing it is because it fits in their heads. And that doesn't mean that NFTs are the end or the only thing that can work. It's just that the, the more we actually use the software for things that impact people's lives, that's what's going to make them understand it and start to adopt it. Uh, for a lot of things, uh, like DeFi kind of opened a lot of people's heads. They're like, oh, okay, I, I know that there are all these banks out there running this financial infrastructure and decentralizing that is appealing to some people. That gets a lot of people on board. But I think for a lot of people, it has to be beyond that. It has to be not about trying to like find a new way to build companies. I think it has to be about like what people, the problems that people see in their own lives and helping them solve those uh, with the solution that happens to use blockchain technology, with the solution that happens to use cryptocurrency. It's all about finding the right use cases that fit in people's heads that they can use today. Uh, there's a lot of people that think the time for Bit uh, for cryptocurrency in general to achieve mass adoption is at some point in the future that it just takes time. Time is part of it. But I think that there is enough infrastructure today to accomplish almost anything you want with people who don't know that much about the technology. It's just about telling a story that's inspiring enough for people to get over those barriers today uh, with and actually being able to follow that up with actual like <laughs> something useful. And I, I think it's I think the time is now. I wouldn't say that 2021 is the year of mass adoption, but I would say that it could be. It can happen today. There are no more prerequisites. It's just about uh, innovators putting something in front of people that they can use. 
Yeah. And speaking of relatable use cases and inspiring stories, I think a very inspiring and relatable narrative is that around community. And that's something that you talk about a lot. And um, you sort of hold this view that the most important impact of the financial revolution of DeFi that people are getting into today is actually going to be its effect on community life. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Absolutely. So uh, if you're anything like me, when you look outside at our society, you see a society that's very dominated by political life and by corporate life. And community life kind of takes a back seat. Uh, I see that as an economic problem. Uh, corporate life has equity. It's really powerful. Uh, political life has national currencies. Those are very powerful, too. But in community life, we just kind of pool our resources together to get things done. And that can be effective, but it doesn't have the same power behind it that those tools do. So that's why I think blockchain technology is so important for community life in particular. Uh, other parts of our society have already had economic tools. You can rebuild them on the blockchain and get some efficiencies and some new stuff there. But where the vast opportunity is, is for community life, where those economic tools haven't been there at all. Uh, that's what I think the story is going to be as this technology plays out. We're going to see community life rise as a part of our society. Instead of being the sideshow, it could be the main event. And uh, that's really where I see the potential. That's where I spend my time trying to get things done. Because I think if we could get things done without winner-takes-all politics and without trying to optimize the next quarterly earnings report, I think we can make so many people happier, so many people happier by doing the things that they like with the people they like, uh, rather than having to struggle about like who gets what and how are we going to uh, achieve one decision together when there can just be many different pockets of people doing their own thing, being happy. Like uh, uh, imagine if more of our economy and more of our society worked the way if you're walking around a new city and you see, oh, this neighborhood, this kind of thing is going on there. Here's this ethnic neighborhood. Here's this artist neighborhood, etc. Imagine if that's what more of our money felt like, where instead of having to worry about like... Um, trying to get everybody to agree on one thing. There's just different pockets where people are doing something different. If you want to be a part of it, you can opt into it. You don't have to win an election. You don't have to win an argument. You don't have to win a war. <laughs> like you can just get things done with the people you want to get the things done with. Like I think uh, the more economic resources we drive to that part of our society, the more people can be happy. And right now, there's a lot of people who are unhappy in some way or another. Like, uh, I personally think a lot of people are going really crazy these days. And I think, I think that's because we plugged everybody into the internet where everybody has different opinions about everything, but socially and economically, we're still plugged into that same old economy, that same old politics, where it only does one thing. In politics, you gotta get everybody to agree, 50% plus one. In uh, the corporate life, you have to do whatever makes the most money. Uh, what about everything else? That's what everybody's mad about. That's what everybody's going nuts about. And if we could had another way to drive resources to the parts of our society that we choose, the people we choose to work with, the things we want to do with those people, I think people are going to be a lot happier. That's the big opportunity that I see. And I can't wait to live in that world. It's frustrating to not already be there. There's so much work to do to get there. But I think if we lived in that world, I would be a lot happier. And I think you would too. 
For sure. And so I, I think that gives us a very natural bridge into talking about Pemvala because Pemvala is a donation matching fund for communities. Take me to the start of Pemvala. How did you get the idea for it? What problem were you trying to solve? Um, tell me how Pemvala came about. Sure. So uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I joined Consensus. This was 2015. And about a month in, uh, this was still early before there were that many projects live on Ethereum. So it was like, what do we do with this technology? How can we do something that's actually sustainable? So I sat down, wrote down a document with every kind of decentralized business model I could think of at the time, just what can I do in one sitting and wrote it down. So there are things like decentralized marketplaces and being the market maker on that platform. So like uh, there's uh, like the same way that Uber uh, kind of subsidized rides for a long time to make sure that the drivers and riders could be balanced and they built that up over time to now you can get a quick ride, be the market maker, except on a decentralized version of Uber or Airbnb, et cetera. Uh, on that platform. Uh, another thing was like be the reputation vendor on a decentralized marketplace. Uh, in that Uber example, Uber's vetting all the drivers and all the riders and giving them ratings, making sure that people are being connected who actually want to be connected. Well, on a decentralized platform, you still need that thing. So that's the thing you could charge for even if the network is open. So those are two examples. There's a lot more. And then the last one on that document was, well, if this technology is kind of like the building blocks for societies, for economies, if you can write down the rules for any sort of thing and have the Ethereum network enforce that those rules, maybe we can come up with a set of rules that help people fund public goods, the things that we share in a more effective way. And then we can use that thing to fund all the other decentralized things we want to build. Maybe we could do that. Uh, but that's way too ambitious. That's far-fetched. But like that's that's the thing that I couldn't get out of my head for years. So I worked on a couple different things. I did security audits, I worked on prediction markets, et cetera. But in the back of my head, I was always trying to build these prototypes for decentralized nonprofits. So uh, Panvala is actually the third of those prototypes. And the first experiment with what became Panvala was in uh, February of 2018 at the Consensus Company Retreat in Portugal. I basically built a prototype of Panvala as a board game. So... Uh, we didn't have ERC-20 tokens, we had poker chips. And we didn't have a smart contract to enforce the rules, we had a game master, we had me. So we basically played out that game, basically we used the inflation from the system to reward the people at the retreat who are doing something to make the retreat great. And every day people had the opportunity to donate those tokens back into the token supply uh, to support what was happening. And people really took to the game. In fact, uh, less than five minutes after the game launched, uh, there was someone doing a physical airdrop of these Panvala tokens from the mezzanine in the hotel that we were at, just throwing them off as a physical airdrop. That was pretty cool. But then seeing the things that people actually did to earn the tokens was very inspiring as well. From that experiment, that's really what convinced me to kind of go all in on Panvala, that there was a way to use tokens to do more than uh, decentralized financial protocols you could use them to enhance community life. So I built up a team. Uh, we built up the smart contracts behind Panvala and launched them on uh, the Ethereum mainnet in August of 2019. And it's been operating ever since. Uh, what we do with it is we match donations from communities. Uh, we started with five communities in the Panvala League. Now there are 47 communities sharing the system. And each quarter, they bring in donations in the PAN token, and we split up the inflation each quarter to match those donations that they brought in. 
Uh, we think the more we share Panvala, the stronger it gets, uh, and we want to share it with as many communities as possible. Got it. So that's an awesome story, first of all. And I have some questions for you. So when we're talking about the communities in Pamvala, are these physical communities or are these digital communities that that are formed around a hobby or a passion or a mindset? Or uh, talk a little bit more about what these communities are. So Pamvala is for all kinds of communities. Uh, the current communities are very like uh, digital communities. A lot of them are already like crypto native communities. What the communities formed around was doing something using crypto technology. Uh, so that's a lot of the communities that you'll see today. But the ones that you described where it's like a local group, like a neighborhood group, uh, trying to get something done. There's actually a dance studio in Wyoming that's interested in sharing Panvala's donation matching fund. That's the kind of community that can fit in as well. This isn't uh, about crypto. It's really about community life everywhere we can find it. We want to elevate community life across the board throughout society. Uh, so the only kinds of communities that we exclude today are politically focused communities. Uh, not because like politics is bad or shouldn't exist, like politics is necessary. It's just that's not what Panvala does because it would be very hard to share a treasury with communities with that are trying to get other people to do different things. Like we're focused on uh, communities of people that have chosen to be part of that community doing the thing that they like to do with those people, not about trying to change other people's mind, change the government. We're not about that kind of thing. Uh, but that's really the only thing we exclude. Other than that, like anything where it's a community coming together, funding things with donations and membership dues, fees for ticketed events, like we want to subsidize all of that stuff. And we think by, at the end of the day, we can build up a network of thousands of communities that work together to bring in subsidies. Because again, like Bitcoin, Panvala's inflation tapers off over time. Like if you think about the Bitcoin model and when you buy in, you know there's going to be 21 million Bitcoins and there's not 21 million today. So when you hold Bitcoin, you're kind of being a philanthropist. Uh, so thank you. If you hold Bitcoin, you're being diluted to fund the Bitcoin network. Uh, and if people didn't hold on to it, it would not work. We kind of do that same model in Panvala. Uh, if you hold on to Pan, there's going to be 100 million Pan, and there's not 100 million Pan yet. Uh, so when you hold on to it, you're doing a new form of philanthropy. We use that inflation to match donations from all the communities uh, that are part of Panvala, and we kind of go from there. But like the inflation, like in Bitcoin, eventually tapers off. So we can't just uh, be oriented around using the inflation to match the donations that we bring in. We're also trying to build up this network of thousands of communities that can bring in external subsidies, things like corporate sponsorships, large individual donations. We want to be able to work together to bring in as much as possible, build up that collective negotiating power that can get more done. Uh, and when I describe that to people, like a, a lot of people can see that if that kind of organization already existed, it would be a no brainer. Like having many, many communities working together to get resources from corporations makes sense. But how do you start that kind of organization? I don't think that was actually possible without being able to create your own currency to do that. Because you would have to say, hey guys, in the future, if you join this thing one day, we're going to be able to match your donations. But we don't have to do that. We match donations today because we can bootstrap it using our own currency. And then still one day we're going to be bringing in external corporate sponsors and things like that. But we can start with the matching today and just grow over time. Being able to bootstrap 
cooperation between communities is that new opportunity, is that world-changing story that we get to be a part of just because we were lucky enough to be around at the dawn of blockchain technology. And it is a privilege and an honor to be able to be a part of it. Fascinating. So what are the different ways that somebody can get involved with Pembala if they're brand new to it? They can either donate, they can join a community. Are there Pembala miners that are mining PAN tokens? So there are no miners. It runs on Ethereum itself. So we don't uh, have a blockchain that needs to be mined. The inflation goes totally to support our communities. But there are a couple of ways to be involved. The easiest way to be involved is if you're part of one of the communities that's already part of the Panvala League, then you just uh, donate to your community in Pan or you stake Pan tokens to increase your community's matching multiplier because staking is where the matching comes from. Those people that are holding on to the Pan while the inflation happens, they're where the matching comes from. So when you choose a community to, to support, that increases their matching multiplier. So that's the easiest way to be involved. If you're not part of a community that's part of Panvala, you can bring your community to Panvala. We want to share Panvala with as many communities as possible, including yours, including communities outside of crypto, including communities inside of crypto, but it's for all kinds of communities with the exceptions I mentioned before. So bringing your community to Panvala is another way to get involved. If you want to be involved as an individual, uh, we're ramping up what we call the Panvala Token Holders Association, where as long as you hold some PAN, uh, you can be a part of basically the uh, how we connect individual token holders with one another, how we help them work together, how we help them experiment with new kinds of communities that they can create. We want to basically uh, be the glue between all these different communities and really kind of be an incubator for new kinds of communities that can exist once this economic tool is in place. I think we're going to see all kinds of existing traditional communities be a part of Panvala, but there's also kind of a wide open landscape of new kinds of ideas that people will come up with once those resources are available, and we want to make sure that can happen. So if that excites you, if the idea of starting new communities excites you, the Panvala Token Holders Association is the place for you. Love it. So you mentioned earlier that right now, most of the projects, the 40 some projects you have are crypto native communities. Obviously, you know, the goal is to expand to the mainstream and to be open to all different types of communities. So what plans do you have in place at Pamvala for reaching out to the quote unquote normies and attracting the masses? Uh, so we think it's all about starting with the people in crypto and then uh, all the people in crypto have a life outside of crypto. Maybe not everybody. Some people's lives have been totally consumed by crypto, but most people in crypto have a life outside. <laughs> so it's really about the people who are already here starting by reaching out to the communities that they're a part of and seeing how they can benefit. That's actually where when I mentioned that dance studio in Wyoming that's interested in sharing Panvala, that's how that works. They didn't uh, randomly come across Panvala. It's because people who are already using it were like, ah, here's a kind of community that can fit as well. And they can fit and we hope they succeed. That's basically how we see that process going, kind of spreading from the people who are already in crypto to bringing on the kinds of communities they're a part of outside of crypto. Uh, it's harder to onboard non-crypto communities. They don't already have wallets. They might need to set up MetaMask. Uh, if they're making a donation on XDAI, then they have to go and add a network to their wallet. It's It can be a uphill uh, struggle, but that's the kind of work that we want to get good at doing. Because again, if we're trying to build an organization of thousands of communities that work together using this tool, we have to get really good 
at bringing on new communities. So we're ready to, we have a process in place specifically for crypto newbies and to help them get on board and to support their community. We're ready to iterate on it, to test it out and keep getting better at doing that. Because uh, when you uh, look at Panvala a year from now, two years from now, I think it's going to be the primary place that new people get onboarded into crypto for non-speculative purposes. Wow, I love that. And when we think about the bigger community or market at large of following this vision of building community wealth, where do you see this space moving towards? First of all, are there any other players in the space besides Pamvala right now? And then looking ahead to the next year or the next five years, do you see this sector of crypto growing larger and larger? Do you see more people paying attention to this? Like, where do you see this developing in the future? There are other people taking on parts of this huge problem to elevate community life across the board. There's lots of communities out there. There's lots of work to be done. So there are definitely a lot of players. We don't see them as competitors. We see them as allies. Uh, in particular, if you've participated in one of the Gitcoin grants rounds, uh, we work closely with Gitcoin to uh, match donations from different communities who are fundraising in crypto. Uh, Gitcoin is part of Panvala. Panvala uses Gitcoin for a lot of stuff. Like that's the kind of partnership that I think is necessary to actually achieve this huge goal of elevating community life. Uh, so that's the main kind of uh, platform that we work with. The kind of people that Panvala tends to attract are uh, communities that are also interested in this problem. So there's communities like CommonStack and Giveth who are building uh, platforms and token tools to uh, help communities be able to fund the things that they care about. And we work closely with them as well. Those are a couple of like the highest profile projects that I think are in this particular corner of crypto. Again, I think this is the biggest opportunity in the whole entire space. I think this is the use case that like NFTs, fits in people's heads. If you tell people that, you know, communities should really have economic tools, point them at the landscape for political life and corporate life and show them the big missing gap in community life. People get it. It fits in the starting to match donations and uh, ramping up as you go from there. It's, it's very straightforward for people to get on board in this way. And I think it's going to continue to grow. I think a lot of what happens in this particular corner of crypto will end up being that big story. It's the thing that will have the most impact on people's lives in ways that, you know, even my life personally, I don't do that much on the blockchain. I'm a, I'm a part of a couple of DAOs, uh, but what most people do with crypto is just speculate on it. It's not a life-changing thing. It's another way to manage your finances. But once we get to those things outside of just speculation, that's when it gets really interesting to me, when you can use the blockchain as the game master for these things that you're trying to do with other people, the social technology. Blockchain technology is the biggest social technology revolution that's really, I think, ever. <laughs> but like everybody saw how the internet played out and how eventually every business uh, became an internet business. Uh, every form of media became internet media. Everybody saw that happen. And I think we're going to see something similar with blockchain technology when it comes to just to social community life. Like there won't be a community that doesn't touch blockchain technology because it'll have that big of an impact on what we can do together. Yeah, I completely agree with you. In the time that I've been in crypto, I've never seen a stronger emphasis on community than in the crypto space. 
So that's something I, I definitely think we'll be seeing more and more of that. And people will be talking more and more about community and how can we build and orient around that concept of community. So tell me finally, you know, about Pimvala, what do you have in store for the remainder of 2021? Any new and exciting things that you're able to share with our listeners? Yeah, so for Panvala, uh, one of the things we like to do is grow as fast as possible. That's for two reasons. Like, uh, again, the matching comes from inflation, and uh, inflation works really well in a growing system and not so well in a stagnant system. So we try to grow as fast as we can. The second thing is that we want to grow to be that network of thousands of communities. We're 47 communities today. There's a long road to get to thousands. So we want to grow as fast as we can. Our goal for this quarter is to grow from 47 communities today to 90 communities in late June. It's an ambitious goal, but we want to continue the cadence of roughly doubling each quarter. Uh, So if uh, you're a part of a community that wants to be part of Panvala, uh, we want to talk to you. If you know of communities that you think could benefit from the system, we want to talk to them uh, because we want to continue to grow at that sort of cadence. The second thing to pay attention to besides just the pure donation matching is the coalitions that we try to form within Panvala of the communities that join. Uh, We Beyond just the donation matching, uh, we're kind of cooperation maximalists. We want to help people cooperate in whatever way they can. So just on the social side, connecting uh, similar communities with similar goals, helping them set up recurring monthly calls to share information, share opportunities to help one another. Uh, And we actually give each of those coalitions a multi-sig wallet that Panvala funds uh, to kind of grease the skids of cooperation and help things work uh, better. Uh, we have five coalitions today. There's the Regenerative Commons Coalition, the, uh, the Digital Identity Coalition, the Woman-Led Web3 Coalition, the Future of Work Coalition, and the Crypto Art Coalition. Those are the five today. We want to add more. Uh, it's really just about whatever kinds of um, commonalities we find between the communities that join. We want to help them work together. You'll see more of those coming up this year. And again, it's just continuing to grow, continuing to share this with as many communities as possible and showing people that this is actually a thing that can be done. Uh, Once people hear what we're trying to do and they see the trajectory that we're on, I think it clicks for people and it's something that uh, I think people can see how it can make so many people happier if they were able to make community life more of a focus rather than the politics that we're all used to. Very cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to following along the journey and seeing uh, where you guys go with Pemvala. Another thing I wanted to bring up is you mentioned you're part of a couple of DAOs, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, which is not surprising at all, given how much you care about community. So can you talk a little bit about the DAOs that you're part of and sort of, you know, what they represent and how how you went about joining a DAO and how maybe some of our listeners can join a DAO if that's something they're interested in? Yeah, so the DAO that I spend the most of my time in is uh, MetaCartel. MetaCartel founded initially as uh, kind of a group that was trying to make meta transactions happen on uh, in depth, but it's grown beyond that, and it's really just kind of a grant DAO for the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, we try to fund uh, uh, promising teams, promising projects, and uh, help them hit the ground running. And it's really uh, being able to meet up on a regular basis with the kinds of people who join that kind of DAO is really a special experience with a special culture. Like in this past 
pandemic year, I would say the vast majority of my social interaction has actually happened within MetaCartel. Uh, it's been an interesting time. But if you're interested in joining a DAO, I highly recommend it. Again, like the this, I think the story of this technology is about community life. So if you haven't joined a community that uses blockchain technology to try to empower what they do, to, the time to start is today, or ideally a week from right now when we're talking, because uh, April 26th through 30th, is the next DAO Rush Week. So DAO Rush Week is basically a collection of open house events from DAOs across the ecosystem because they want to tell you what they're up to and how you can join because you should join a DAO. There's no reason to not be a part of a DAO. The same way that I encourage everybody to like buy an NFT, even if it's a cheap one, to be part of this chapter in history, you need to join a DAO to be a part of what's happening with community life uh, touched by blockchain technology. That's really, again, what I think is the big story. And if you want to be a part of it, uh, participating in DAO Rush Week is a great time to do it. We do it once a quarter. So if you miss DAO Rush Week number four, DAO Rush Week number five uh, will be coming about three months from then. So unfortunately, this by the time this episode goes live, Dow Rush Week will have passed already. But I did just sign up for Dow Rush Week, and I'm really looking forward to it. And then last thing about that is for people who maybe aren't as familiar with what DAOs are and how they operate, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, like, what does it mean to be part of a DAO? What does that commitment level look like? People might be wondering, like, well, I have a full time job, I work 80 hours a week, like, am I gonna have time to be part of a DAO? And like, like, what's the incentive? Can you talk a little bit more about that? So with most DAOs, the level of commitment is kind of just a recurring meeting. Some of them have weekly meetings. Some of them have monthly meetings. But that's kind of the level of time commitment. I think almost anybody can fit one hour a week into their schedule, or if not that, one hour a month into their schedule to be able to participate in a DAO. But yeah, there's all sorts of DAOs out there. There's a DAO that's trying to build a comic book. Uh, there's a DAO that's trying to... Um, like bring Bitcoin to Ethereum. Uh, there are all sorts of DAOs out there. Uh, there's definitely one that fits what you're trying to do. I definitely think you should be a part of it. I would say the most valuable parts of MetaCartel for me are that weekly call and then our kind of Telegram group and Discord that we use to keep up in between calls. And just having that built-in sense of community is really the biggest part. So um, I really just join one. And then if it feels like it's too much for you, you can always either find a different one or decide that you don't want to. But I don't think you're going to pick that because this is the big story in crypto. For sure. Well, I'm really looking forward to DAO Rush Week and hoping to find my DAO that I can join um, and get plugged into that part of the community. The last segment I always do on every podcast episode is called Explain Your Tweet. This is where I dig through your Twitter account and pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets and give you a chance to explain them. So the first one I have is from April 17th, 2021. You said something really interesting happens when you try to govern virtual property like cryptocurrencies and NFTs. The value is all social. So there's really no other option besides stakeholder governance, even for people who are purely motivated by profit. Do you want to break that down and explain it for our listeners? Yeah. So uh, people tell the story about how DAOs uh, influence governance outside of crypto and in the world in general. 
Uh, people describe DAOs as this new form of governance that will consume companies, consume governments, etc. And I try to make that more concrete. I don't think governments are going to be consumed. I think they're still going to exist in a similar form as today. But what does happen, what happens in a special way, is that when you're trying to govern a DAO, which is typically a thing that only exists on the blockchain, it's purely virtual, doesn't own land, doesn't own assets in the real world, what you're governing is really relationships with the people who are part of the DAO. You're trying to keep people together. You're trying to get people to not split apart so that cooperation can continue. And if you're doing that and you're just trying to govern based on who owns the most tokens or who has the most power, etc., it'll fall apart. People will break apart and leave. So that's why when people are becoming more dissatisfied with the kind of shareholder governance that drives our economy, where it's just whatever makes the most money is what happens, uh, when it comes to these virtual kinds of organizations with a virtual property, that's not the same dynamic that takes place because you have to keep people together. You end up having to use stakeholder governance, even if you just care about growing your money as much as possible. You have to use stakeholder governance to keep people together. And just seeing that pattern is the biggest hint to me that something special is happening here because a lot of the things that people say about why they're dissatisfied with the way the world works today is the fact that they don't have a say. I think where we're going, everybody has a say and everybody should be part of it because as we shape this thing together, it's brand new. The people participating today are who shapes it. And if you want it to be shaped in the way you want it to go, you should participate because what's happening at the end of the day is stakeholder governance. You are a stakeholder. You need to show up to one of these things and be a part of uh, this change that's happening in the world. Preached. I love it. All right. The next tweet that I pulled out, this is from March 25th, 2021. It just says 2008 collateralized debt obligations, 2021 tokenized NFT portfolios. Tell us more. So uh, for that one, um, I, I feel like a, like an old man now because I have stories to tell about things that happened in the past. Uh, it's weird to realize that so many people weren't adults in 2008 and didn't see the economy falling apart. But it's true. A lot of people didn't see it. But the thing that took down the economy was taking all these different mortgages, all these loans for houses. They all had different uh, properties. They were for different houses, literally different borrowers but they wanted to package them up and make them something that was easy for people to invest in by saying, oh, this slice has this uh, credit worthiness and this slice has this credit worthiness and so on. And uh, people kept repackaging those things until they couldn't tell what was underneath. And then uh, the economy was kind of built on a house of cards and it fell apart and we had to kind of blow it back up. And we never quite fixed all the problems that, and we're still suffering from that today. Uh, but <laughs> that's kind of what people are trying to do by tokenizing NFTs. I'm pro experimenting, like people should try out things. I just think it looks a lot like the same story where you have this token that represents this basket of NFTs, but nobody's really looking at what's in the basket. They're looking at whatever the price chart is for the token. And then things can get very disconnected very quickly until somebody's like, wait a second, what's going on behind the token? What, what mortgages are behind the security? What NFTs are behind this token? And then when somebody actually goes to look under the curtain, everybody realizes that maybe their expectations were not met and you get a crisis. It's a thing that could happen. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but it fits the pattern in my head. And for the people who weren't actually around for it, which is a lot of people, definitely watch The Big Short. It's a good movie. It kind of gives you the whole story. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I will say, you know, for anybody listening who's maybe thinking, oh, wow, what a negative view on all of this. I, I will say, like, I, I think one of the most important things we can be doing right now as we're building out Web3 is to remember the mistakes that we've made in the past and make sure we don't repeat those mistakes. Because when when we were building the original Internet or Web2, I think the people building it had some of the same ideas in mind and some of the same goals in mind that we have now for Web3 and look how that turned out, right? So I think one wrong turn and, and we could just repeat history all over again. So I do think it's really important to remember history and study history and to, to learn from it. All right, so I've got one more tweet to call out. Uh, this is from March 23rd, 2021. He said, sports NFTs are special to me because the sports teams themselves have been NFTs since day one. It's not like owning a real business where the productive assets have clear value. It's social property that gets you in the club of other owners and players who want to work with you. That's an interesting take. I, I, you know, like obviously very timely right now with, well, March Madness just ended. But uh, tell us a little bit more about, about that. Yeah. So uh, to me, like uh, ever since I was trying to fit blockchain stuff, decentralized stuff inside my head, I always look for what's not new. Like it's very tempting to be able to say, oh, this is everything's new here. We have to figure everything out from first principles. And I do that sometimes. But for me, I try to look for what's not new, what's been done before so I can copy because copying is a lot easier than coming up with something new. And I, I'm for that. Uh, to me, the most uh, common existing pattern for virtual property is in sports. It's sports leagues where basically like if you if you're owning a normal company, that company owns something, whether it's like a, a patent or a factory or like uh, they're just Amazon and they <laughs> they own everybody's habits, their purchasing habits, like uh, they own something real. But sports teams, mostly the value doesn't come from owning something real. It comes from uh, basically their relationships with everybody else in that sports league. So that to me is a kind of NFT. If sports leagues didn't exist and somebody was trying to come up with that concept today, they would say, oh, let's just like uh, have the set of NFTs. And if you own one of these NFTs, uh, my team will compete with the teams that also own this NFT. It's the same thing. That hint means that there's probably a lot of things they've already learned about how virtual property works that we can take from them. We don't have to come up with everything again because like people have done so much work before us and we can benefit from that. So when I highlight the sports analogies, the sports governance analogies that I think are so in so many places in crypto, I say that because I want more people to copy uh, to copy what is copyable, what is useful from the sports world to apply to a lot of these decentralized systems because sports in a very important way are decentralized. When you pick up a basketball, there's nobody oppressing you and telling you what to do. Uh, but there's there's all this governance that led to the shape of that ball, the weight of it, uh, the height of the goal. And then if you're really good at the sport, the rules might change to accommodate you. <laughs> like if LeBron James has a really good move that uh, like people like to watch, but doesn't currently fit in the rules, the rules are going to change. Or like if you, for basketball in particular, uh, especially if you're an American, you might have heard of this Eurostep thing that everybody talks about now. The rules of the NBA were actually changed to accommodate a practice that was common in Europe, uh, which is not like the predominant basketball power. It's decentralized. It adjusts to accommodate 
what people want to see, how people want to play. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and there's so much, if you're interested in governing decentralized systems, that can be learned from how that works. That's a really interesting analogy. That was a very fascinating explain your tweet segment, I have to say. <laughs> so definitely go follow Neuron on Twitter if you want more insights like this. Uh, well, Neuron, before you go, tell people where they can find you and connect with you if they want to get in touch with you personally. And then also where they can go to learn more about Pemvala and maybe just give a quick summary again of some of the uh, initial things that people can do on Pemvala once they sign up. Sure. So I'm Niran on Twitter. That's N-I-R-A-N. For Panvala, that's Panvala HQ. That's P-A-N-V-A-L-A HQ on Twitter. We want you to be a part of Panvala, both as an individual or as a community. If you have a community that's interested in joining, again, head to panvala.com. There's a button that says submit a new community, and that's how you start the application process. The existing communities decide who they want to work with and who they don't. We don't really reject people. That's not what it's about. But if we had to say no to people, the ability to say no is held by the communities that already share the system. So we want you to apply. We want you to be part of this thing. We want to match your donations. The next donation matching round is going to be in June, and we want to continue to grow the system. So again, we have this network of thousands of communities working together to continue to subsidize what's going on in their communities. Uh, by working together, I believe we can elevate community life to be the main event of what's going on in our society. Right now, politics is the main event. Quarterly earnings reports are the main event. And I think that's not terrible, but I think we can do better. I think so many people will be happier if we could focus more on what's going on in our communities. And if more economic resources were going there to make it happen, you can be a part of that story. If this is actually possible, I believe we are the ones that are going to make that happen. And by we, I don't mean me. I don't mean Panvala in particular. I think there's a good chance that this is what solves the problem. But I guarantee, like, I can guarantee that the people who are going to solve the problem are people like you who are listening to this, people like you who are involved in crypto in 2021, which is still early. This is the technology that can empower communities to a level that I don't think a lot of people can imagine. And I'm really excited to see the story that you write, the chapter that you're a part of when it comes to how community life got elevated. Well, thank you, Naren, for such an inspiring conversation. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Thanks, Diana. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.